Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary, and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to In Her Shoes. I'm Lindsay Peoples, and I'm Editor-in-Chief of The Cut. On this show, I get to talk to people that we love and admire, or some that we just find interesting. We'll explore how they found their path and what maybe have gotten in their way, and how they brought others along now that they've arrived. Hey, so for this episode of In Her Shoes, we're doing something a bit different. This summer, I got to interview Michael R. Jackson in partnership with the New Museum. He's a renowned playwright, composer, lyricist, and creative mind behind the Broadway musical A Strange Loop. The show has been a giant hit on Broadway for the past year and has had rave reviews from critics. It won a 2020 Pulitzer Prize for Drama and a 2022 Tony Award for Best Musical. He's such an incredibly brilliant mind, and we got to talk about what it was like writing the show, his personal creative influences, and representation in art. You're about to listen to a taped recording of our live conversation, so I hope you enjoy this walk in his shoes. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for coming to this. I really appreciate it. I know it's always a busy time in the summer and everybody's going on their vacations, but I am incredibly honored to be up here with Michael R. Jackson and had the privilege of seeing Strange Loop, and we're going to get into it. All right. Are you ready? <laughs> ready. I know that you started working on A Strange Loop um, in your 20s and you finished it 18 years later. Tell me about that process because I do think something that our generation kind of struggles with is the instantaneous kind of convenience of you see something on social, you think, oh, this is amazing, this person's amazing, and that it just happened overnight. Content creation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was it actually like? you know, as a storyteller and I think for people to witness something that you've been working on for so long. So some people may know this if you followed me or the story of The Strange Loop at all, but like I started working on this piece initially as a monologue that I was truly at the beginning, just a sort of personal sort of thing for me just to sort of feel like sane in the world at the point when I had graduated from undergrad and I had no sense of what I was going to do with my life. And so I didn't have any expectations of it being anything beyond just a kind of 
uh, scream into the void. <laughs> but I guess enough of it resonated with me that I just kept working on it. And then, you know, music began to enter into it a little bit later. And so the creative process of working on it was truly just an organic um, artistic exploration that just took on, you know, more and more and more. And then, um, and then sort of opportunities presented and share with people begin to present themselves. And then I began to pursue it from a professional standpoint. So I started from a place of artistic ambition and then I sort of moved into a place of professional ambition with it. Did you ever have any doubts during the process or feel like, why am I still working on this or I still want to work on it and it, it's not there? What were what were the emotions behind working on it for so long? I mean, the emotions behind working on it were the same emotions that I felt in my life, which is that because I was drawing from so much personal experience to try to write it, but also trying to create something that was beyond just my own experience. And so the doubts and things that I had were personal doubt. Like the personal doubts and the artistic doubts were exactly the same. It was like, can I actually do this in life? And can I actually write this in life? And so it took me a long time of really grappling with the the central character and figuring out what the the real structure of the piece was and what the, the sort of dramatic question of the piece was. And and once I sort of got a handle on what that was on a sort of personal standpoint, I was able to really go back into it artistically. Did you have to reevaluate any points of it because of our current political climate um, and so much, obviously, that has changed, I think, for, for the worse in the world? Did you have to change anything that you originally wanted in it? Well, I mean, that's it's an interesting that you raised that because a couple of, like last year or two years ago, there was a writer from the Times who sort of this lumped uh, strange loop in with like this uh, article about artists responding to Trump or something like that. And the thing I had to sort of clap back a little bit online about that was like, listen, I started writing this when George W. Bush like first got into office. And I kept working on it the second Bush term and the first Obama term and the second Obama term. And then I had my first reading that player at Horizons four days after Trump was elected. So everything about the the piece, which again was drawn from my personal experience, but was also a kind of fictionalized account of it, was me taking like whole time periods and like weaving it together through this character. So like the character of Usher, you know, he's, he's 25 going on 26. But when I started writing it, I was 23. And like, when I was 23, I still, in a lot of ways, was kind of 17. And now I'm 41. And I was 38 when the show was off, off Broadway. So I, the, in terms of, like, responding to, you know, the political climate or the present climate, it's all a little bit relative because it's, like, kind of every climate was what I was responding to. And, I, and only certain things did I ever take out. And even the things I took out, were less because they weren't relevant to the time period than it was just about serving whatever the moment was in the piece. I want to read a a quote that was described in Variety about the show, and it said, Michael is so honest and so vulnerable in his work. He has the ability to push an audience into really kind of shocking, sometimes ridiculous places, but keep them rooted in a nuanced sense of character. And I felt like that really was what I, I took away from it. And we talked about this before when when I was asking you a little bit about how much of it was based on your life versus some of it, you know, being fictionalized versions of your life. How did you go about tackling that? Because it is so personal, but then also putting it out 
in the world, which I mean, must have been somewhat terrifying or. Well, it wasn't really terrifying because it took almost 20 years to do it. So like when I first started writing it, like for let's say for the first 10 years of me working on a strange loop, nobody gave a fuck who I was or what I was doing ever. So like there was no nothing to be afraid of because no one who was going to care about it. So I just had to do the work of telling the story as I saw it, like what Usher's story was. And so by the time it started to, you know, get some attention, I, I think I had like, developed a thick enough skin. And, and also, so much of my work outside of a strange loop is very, you know, personal and raw and real and, and funny and darkly funny and all that. And so I just think I had developed like a thick skin or a kind of callous for that. And so I was, that's, I mean, I will say like, I'm often, you know, in my life have been very down on myself. But one thing that I am, I know about me as an artist is I'm fearless. And because I have to be, because if I'm not, what is the purpose of what I'm doing? I want to talk about the dark humor, though, because how do you find so much humor and evoke so much humor in such dark, serious topics? Because that's where the truth is, you know? Like, I had so many dark nights of the soul living in this city. I came of age in the sort of mid to late 90s in Detroit, Michigan, and I actually came up around, like, a lot of Black gay boys. And, like, even within, like, my Black gay boy social circle of high school, I still was an outsider. And so I think when you're an outsider, you start to develop like a, a point of view. And like you start to develop a sense of humor about your point of view as an outsider. And then I, you know, and then I moved to New York and I, and I was told, oh, once you move to New York, you're going to have like this great gay time and like everyone's going to fuck you and it's going to be amazing. And then I like got here and everyone was like, get out of my way, you ugly fat little boy. I don't want to have anything to do with you. So again, outsider, you develop a point of view. And it was also very painful, but you know, I had to find the humor in it or else like I would not want to live. And I, you know, and I'm ultimately at heart a pretty joyful person and hope or a hopeful person, let me say. And I think that that just was that that just ended up serving me in my life and in my work. Usher describes himself as a, quote, young, overweight to obese, homosexual and or gay or and or queer cisgender male, able bodied university and graduate school educated. But I honestly wanted to talk about the theme. Normie leftist, politically <laughs> homeless. There's more to it after that. Broke ass, middle class, uh, Disney ushering descendant of slaves who thinks he's probably a verse bottom. <laughs> I think I got everything in there, but not totally sure of that. <laughs> I do want to discuss the song, though, Inner White Girl, because I enjoyed it so much. Tell us more about why the theme of white girl privilege and how that resonated so much with you and needed to be part of it. Privilege and victimhood. <laughs> um, I think that, well, it sort of came out of the out of uh, the fact that, like, in the evolution of the piece, um, there used to be this big sort of storyline years years and years and years ago where Usher was trying to get the artist Liz Fair to let him, let her use her, her music within his musical, which was something that I was doing in real life. And he had, and I had written, he, Usher and I had written these mashups <laughs> um, of our songs against a lot of, Liz Fair songs and her discography and like and and that culminated in um, a song called Strange Loop that Liz Fair wrote on her 
Exxon Guyville album, her debut album. And I think, and part, and what that storyline was all about was just like him really admiring sort of her moxie and like her ability, even with, he also, when she wrote that album was kind of in a way an outsider because she was sort of in this very male dominated indie rock scene where everybody just sort of patted her on the head. It was like, oh, little girl, what do you know about music? And she set out to sort of prove them wrong by writing this sort of raucous, kick-ass, sexual, funny, kind of like vulnerable, you know, cool, tall, vulnerable, and luscious album, um, Exile and Guyville. And I just think that Usher and me were very inspired by the idea that one could, in one's art, be a full range um, and and he and feeling like, oh, but as a black man, as a fat black gay man, those things are not necessarily afforded to me in my life, let alone in my art. And him really striving to sort of evoke, you know, what he calls his inner white girl, which ends up being a kind of um, crutch for him that he has to move beyond, but that it helps him through the piece in a certain way to, to navigate difficult moments. Were you at all worried about how it would be received since the Broadway world uh, isn't that diverse? Were you worried that people wouldn't actually get what you were trying to say, or did you did you hear it all? Well, I mean, by the time we had gotten to uh, Broadway, the show had already sort of been very well received, and like we had already had like a cast album out, and like that song was like kind of the one that a lot of people gravitate to which y'all need to tell me. Y'all, people ask me about that, but y'all are the ones that gravitate to or, toward it. So, <laughs> well, I love the Tyler Perry too, but I'm going right. to get to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, so, I mean, I I knew that there were always would be some people who were like, what is it? I don't get it. Like, oh, I remember I got asked an interview, Rita Braver at, C, at uh, CBS Sunday Morning. It didn't, didn't go into the interview. But she was like, what would you do if I told you that white girls can't do everything? And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. Just there's a context to this song existing in this piece, um, <laughs> but so yeah. I mean, I I can't like focus on that too 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 much because it's just people have to decide for themselves what they what they think and how they feel about it. Now I'm curious of who that was, but I'm sorry. Self hatred and self doubt are very very big themes and. I really appreciated it because I feel like those are topics, especially in the Black community, that we kind of shy away from and you're just supposed to work twice as hard, act like it doesn't matter, all of that. Um, what has it been like for you personally, but then also in in writing about it and, I mean, even in continuing after you're, you were telling me before about writing other things, like, do you still feel the same self-doubt, self-hatred? How does, how does your mind wrap around that? Um, I definitely think that I've moved beyond the sort of self-loathing of my mid to late 20s slash mid to late 30s. <laughs> but, but I do still have doubts. I mean, I think that's a normal part of just the human condition. But I, I think that like I, I, at a crucial point um, in my life, I realized that I wasn't a problem. There's this book that I never finished reading, but I got through like a good half of it and it was really helpful. Um, this woman named Tara Brock talks about the trance of unworthiness. And I grappled with that idea for such a long time, but like I didn't realize just how inside of it I was. And so writing about it was a way of living it and living it was a way of writing it. It was like a, such a reciprocal um, process. And I, 
And I think I just had to, to chase after it because I wanted to be free. You know, I didn't want to be trapped in this cycle. Um, and I wasn't going to be able to live any sort of fuller life until I really confronted that. Embracing nature is more than just going for a walk now and then. It's reconnecting with the elements. It's harnessing the power of natural ingredients. It's putting the earth first. For over 50 years, Nature's Sunshine has been sharing the healing power of nature as they work towards a healthier planet. Their manufacturing facility is 100% powered by sunlight, and they divert 95% of waste away from landfills. If you're looking for a sustainably made herbal supplement, you might want to check out Nature Sunshine and their new power line. Power Beats are a superfood performance booster that can help enhance both performance and blood flow. And Power Meal is a satisfying protein-packed superfood shake that comes in sustainable packaging made with nearly 40% post-consumer recycled plastics. Now that's something you can feel good about. This Earth Month, you can enjoy 25% off your first order with code NSP. Just go to naturesunshine.com. That's naturesunshine.com and use code NSP for 25% off your first order. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. I also want to talk about the um, AIDS is God's punishment before we talk about Tyler Perry. Um, and I think the, the paradox of trauma and the joys and pains of being black um, and religion and queerness um, were so intertwined and I think in an incredible nuanced way. And I wanted to just hear from you of, of why those paradoxes are so important to discuss, but also the song Precious Little Dreams, um, which I just felt was so powerful as well. Yeah, so Ace God's Punishment was a song that really developed over a couple of different moments of uh, me writing the piece. And it's also connected to the song Memory Song, so you'll just allow me out here with you. So I went into my graduate school program as a words person only at NYU graduate musical theater writing program. I was not trying to be a composer. I grew up playing piano in church and all of that. And I was a very musical person, but I didn't know how to write lyrics. And so I went into the program as a, as a words person. And over the course of the first year, I learned how to write lyrics. And then at the end of the first year, a teacher said, if you were um, a composer who's never written lyrics or a lyricist who's never written uh, music and you want to try it, go for it. So since I'd gotten a grasp of Uh, lyrics writing, I decided to try writing my own song. The song that came out of it was a song, Memory Song, which at the time was a standalone song, but ended up working its way into the penultimate song in A Strange Loop. That song was inspired because there was a classmate of mine who a couple of months or, I don't, the timeline's so fuzzy, but sometime earlier that 
semester or year had written this song that was, I think the assignment was called like writing from personal experience or something like that. And he wrote this, he's another black gay man. And he wrote this story, this song, a lyric, uh, another classmate had written the music. He wrote a lyric about um, hooking up with somebody and feeling like religious shame or something along those lines. And listening to him perform the song reminded me of a lot of Black gay boys that I had known in high school who had this similar sort of experience and in some ways mirrored mine, but in different ways. And I wrote in my notebook, I just picked up my notebook and I wrote all those Black gay boys I knew who chose going back to the Lord. And that stayed in my notebook until later that year when we got that assignment, I wrote the song. So then cut to two years later when I'm working on Strange Loop and... There's this whole Tyler Perry thing, which I know we'll get into that. But I had written the song Precious Little Dream many years earlier, which had ended at a certain point. It did not, it was not connected to AIDS is God's Punishment at all. It was like its own song that was an Usher and his mother sort of fight song and all of that. And then I went, me and my friend Chris got drunk and we went and saw uh, the Tyler Perry movie Temptation Confessions of a Marriage Counselor. Oh God, oh God. And... That's a, because I had this thing with Tyler where, like, I would, even though his work drove me crazy, I would go and see, like, every movie. And I would, and I went and saw some of the stage plays and I would watch them on DVD, all this stuff. And so I'm watching it. I'm, I'll spare you the synopsis of Tyler Perry's Confessions of Marriage Counselor, other than to say that in this film, Journey Smollett and Brandy Norwood become um, serial converts or by this man who essentially is the devil. He's like this black billionaire who gives Journey Smollett and Brandy AIDS or HIV. And I was so, I was just like, what? When I, that, but then in the actual theater, there was this woman sitting in front of me and she goes, yep, that's what she gets. And I was just so horrified by that because that then reminded me of like back home and like things that I would hear about HIV AIDS and people saying AIDS is God's punishment, all this stuff. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to go write this like satirical. I was like, the song Price of the Dream needs to turn into this gospel play thing that there's this refrain about, you know, AIDS or something. So I went away to sort of just write that version of it that was just meant to be pure, dark satire. But then um, what happened in my life, like later on, because I went away and wrote it, was that the friend who had inspired the song Memory Song, it turned out was HIV positive. And in addition to that, had like not been seeking any treatment for like a decade and HIV progressed to AIDS and he passed away. And I found all this out about a month before he died and I was at his bedside and it was the first time that AIDS had really come to my doorstep like that. And his story was so similar to mine in a lot of ways, but we sort of diverged in a, in a key way, I guess. And he was also supposed to work on the show as an orchestrator. And he, at his bedside, jokingly told me that he thought that AIDS was God's punishment. Like, I can't describe to you what an emotional and bewildering and sad and terrifying experience it was and how guilty I felt for not realizing that something was wrong and, 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 And just, I had every emotion you possibly could experience. And then on top of that, I had written this piece that was like on its way to off-Broadway that had this moment. And and I was like, it has to be more than just like a dark satire. It has to be real because here it is like at my doorstep. Um, And so 
I made it a little bit more personal um, in the piece and not just sort of the satire of it. And I did that in part because, A, I want to show that, like, this thing about HIV and AIDS is very, very real, even though we don't always talk about it anymore. But also that, like, part of the pain and the pleasure of growing up Black and gay for me was going to church and hearing, like, terrible messages and hearing beautiful music at the same time. And I wanted to share that with an audience and ask and, and ask them to sort of join in or not and make a choice, which is why I always ask people, did you clap or did you not clap? Not because I have any particular judgment on it, but I'm just I'm curious to see how people choose to take the bait or not and, and what that makes them feel. And then also what it makes them feel to look at their neighbors who might make a different decision, because that's also what it's like to be black and gay. It's that like, you don't, you don't know if you have any allies around you. You don't know who you can trust. You don't know who cares for you. You don't know how they care for you. They might care for you and still do like, do and say terrible things. It's all very complicated. And so that's the, the long, I mean, the story could be so much longer than that, but that's the, the long and the short of it. But that was a beautiful story, though. What was your first introduction to Tyler Perry? Because, I mean, I've seen all the plays and all <laughs> that, too. But what was your first introduction and, and, and thought about it as someone who wanted to tell stories? But obviously, I mean, he's been doing this forever. So Yeah, so my first exposure to Tyler Perry was my freshman year of college. My best friend, Kisha, who I met like my first day at school, she, I don't know, I, I, I don't know if we saw something online or if there was a video. I, we, did, we saw something that was advertising um, his play, his event stage play, Why Did I Get Married, which starred Kelly Price. And it was playing at the Beacon Theater. And we both were like, we have to go see this. Or like, or we're like, oh, this is crazy. So then as a gag gift for her birthday that September, I bought tickets. And we went to the Beacon Theater and we saw you know, why did I get married? And, and Kisha, that's my, my best friend, Kisha, he and I, you know, are, he's from South Carolina and I'm from Detroit. And so, and we both are from, both were, you know, playwriting students at NYU our first year. And we both, you know, were from Black communities where we were very familiar with certain kinds of performance styles, whatever. But we get to the Beacon and we see the show and it's like, it's like, not an empty seat in the Beacon Theater. It's like, and everybody there who is Black, like everybody. And we were like, oh, okay, so what's going on? So then we watched this play and we both are like, this is crazy. And it's also like kind of ridiculous because there's like this one point wherein, you know, Kelly Price playing this kind of like, you know, beleaguered heroine whose husband is like always talking about how fat she is and making out. And then he's, I guess he's cheating on her and all this stuff. And she also, Kelly Price, is wearing, like, a fat suit so that she can look even more, quote-unquote, unattractive or whatever. And then in between the act, she, like, takes it off so that she can, so that, so that the production can show you how good she, she's got it now that the husband has left her or whatever. And I just remember being, like, feeling like this, this kind of storytelling felt very like melodramatic and sort of poorly constructed, but like people really, 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 really enjoyed it. And then after that, he's just sort of like blew up because I think the first Medea movie came out like shortly after that. And I just, he became kind of like a white whale for me, but that was like the first exposure was like seeing why did I get married at the Beacon theater in year 2000? I think it was. I mean, Usher's parents are obsessed with Tyler Perry, but um, 
black people are obsessed with Tyler Perry. And how do you resolve that in your mind? Or were you worried at all about putting, I mean, I was dying laughing at the references, but were you at all worried that black people would be like, that, that's inappropriate or don't do that? Well, you know, the funny thing about it is like, I really tried over the years and especially once we were heading to, to Broadway was like, I've tried to be as nuanced about this as I could be. And I may have failed in some ways, but the truth of it is that like I my position on, on Tyler Perry's work is not like I'm not like some snooty, you know, elites, you know, descending from a tower. Like I actually take his work very, very seriously. And the thing that inspired the song Tyler Perry writes for life is that I heard two separate black folks in my life tell me that the reason why they liked his work was because that it was like real life. And I was just like, wait, 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 wait. So who are these this, people? <laughs> this is meant, one of them was my mother. And I was like, his work is many things, but it's not real. Like, I was just like, it would be one thing if like we could just like laugh and enjoy it or whatever. But no, y'all are trying to say this is real. But what's crazy is that like when I watched it, I did recognize like what he was, what he's trying to do. And like how he's because some 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 of his stage plays specifically, but also the movies and TV shows, they reminded me of like growing up and seeing like the Black History program at church or the Christmas program or the Easter program, where like some little kid is, gets up and is saying their speech from a piece of paper, and like and, but like but it's but other than that, like it it wasn't real, and especially with all the moralizing and the religious sort of lessons that you're supposed to take from it. And I just became obsessed with the idea that there were people who felt that this was real. When, like, I know, even, like, at home, like, even, like, the baby mama, like, I have baby mama drama in my family, and, and, and it's real, real. You know what I mean? And so, like, I felt like in the piece, I was, I wanted to show the nuances of that, um, of, like, what it's like to see this sort of, like, overblown, kind of moralistic um, display of Black life in comparison to something that, in my mind, was more nuanced. And in the piece, like, even that endeavor sort of falls apart because it's not really about Tyler. It's about Usher and, by extension, me, you know, just do your own thing and don't worry about it. But I, over the years of working on it, it was like, I had to, like, show the the nuance of this, of, like, what are the, like, what is actual real Black life? Like, what is it? What does it feel like? And take that very, very, very seriously, even as I'm like making fun and 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 being comedic as well. I mean, I think another thing that came to mind though was also that um, I feel like in a lot of black movies, even outside of Tyler Perry movies, black women take such a beating and are like the most disrespected, um, talked down on, um, and just treated poorly. And I loved that you had such a, a reverence for the mother, Asher's mom, and obviously your mom in real life, which... Which is interesting that you say that because there are some people who say that I'm doing exactly the opposite. No, I could tell no, that you love your and mother. It's tr- no, I'm, 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 not, I'm not contradicting you. I'm just saying that, like, there's so much that I've learned about A Strange Loop that's truly about people's perception of it. And the whole piece is about perception. But also, like, in Tyler's plays, like, in Hell Hath No Fury, Like a Woman Scorned, he beats him with a baseball bat that's like a foam bat. It's like so crazy. It's like you're supposed to believe that he's like beating this man with a bat, but he's all like, he's just going like, ow. And she's like beating him with a bat. Anyway. 
It's just stuff like that. And all, you know, all the stuff, like the, the, the empty glasses of water that the man drinks of and falls from grace. I just, the, a friend just came over and washed the fall from grace. <laughs> and it just, it was really and like hard the for crazy me. Wig, yes. And the crazy wig stuff. The crazy wig stuff, and then the like wigs are the, the one scene yeah. where the, there's like a judge, and you can see the actor reading the script, and it's like in the shot. But that's also how you become a billionaire by like cutting corners. This is the thing that like we need to be like very honest about. It's like like this table building comes from cutting corners. He's just like I built my own table by cutting corners. I can. But that being said, he's been very very nice to me. I see, I was going to ask, has well, he seen it? He has not seen it. He's like, he's on the fence about whether he should see it or not. I, I told him he doesn't have to see it if he does, if it's going to stress him out. <laughs> I mean, but also, he maybe he shouldn't see it because if he comes, he's like 6'5". Like, he's, everybody will make a thing out of it. Like, if I was him, I probably wouldn't come and see either. I don't know. He, but he's got to decide. Like, it's totally his choice. <laughs> well, but I told him that we need to have dinner regardless. Because he also, I think, thinks that I'm a snooty Carlton Banks. And I'm not. Because I told him that I was from Detroit. And he was so shocked that I was from Detroit. And I was like, yes, I'm from Detroit. And I was like, what are you talking about? So, but he doesn't, but he doesn't know, you know? He has a perception of me. Like many people do. I did want to actually loop back to how it was originally called Fast Food Town and really why you why you changed the name, the origin of the name and why you know, I, I want we had talked about this a little bit. But the theory that you found that that made you change it to Strange Loop. Well, it originally the monologue was called Why I Can't Get Work, which I wrote after undergrad. Um, and then I once I started putting music into the monologue, it started to sort of take on this one-man show format that I performed um, in 2006 at Ars Nova. And I had written this song called Fast Food Town that was like, it's not, it's a it's like one of my dead babies uh, songs. And like, um, it just, the whole thing was sort of centered around like the idea of this like sort of young black boy, gay boy in the city feeling, you know, lonely and on having all this ennui. So, um, that, so that's why it was called that initially. It wasn't like a deep thing at all. And then I, uh, with the whole Liz Fair storyline thing that was in it, what ended up happening was that because I had written this mashup to Strange Loop called this song called Fanboy, one day after living with that for a long time, I never knew what the term Strange Loop meant. It didn't, because it's not a song, it's not a uh, something that's defined in the song or anything. And so I decided one day, let me if I Google it, some great thing will come up. And then what ended up happening was that I Googled Strange Loop and the concept, uh, and Douglas Hofstadter popped up. And um, and it was all about like self-reference and the self sort of as like a, a, a collection of meaningless symbols moving up or down through a hierarchy of that was constantly referring back to itself in order to define itself, which was weirdly what the piece already was trying to do. I just didn't have a formal container for it. And so it just became very clear to me that the the title of the the piece was A Strange Loop and that that was what I was attempting to create uh, structurally. Um, Do you feel like the show would be different if you were able to include Liz Fair's music or would you have changed anything? 
Well, I mean, the thing that happened was that I finally made contact with her and she was like, no, you may not use <laughs> my music and your musical and you need, you need to write your own, which was incredible dramaturgical advice that I was grateful that she said no because it forced me to go back into the piece and to really figure my way out through it. Um, and so I'm grateful that that version doesn't exist. Though, um, I w- one day I should do a concert. I mean, I've done it in the past, but like the song today, if you're familiar with that song, is a almost perfect mashup with the song Fucking Run. It's one day I should perform it for people again. Thank you so much, you all, for coming. Thank you so much, Michael R. Jackson. You are so Thank amazing. You. It's a pleasure so to speak with you. In Her Shoes is hosted by me, Lindsay Peoples. Our producer and editor for this episode is Taka Zen. Our engineer is Brandon McFarlane, and our executive producer is Hannah Rosen. The Cut is made possible by the excellent team at New York Magazine. Subscribe today at thecut.com slash subscribe. I'm Lindsay Peoples, and thank you so much for listening. Celebrate Earth Month this April by harnessing the power of Mother Nature with Nature's Sunshine's new power line. From power greens with over 200 plant-based nutrients to support gut health and foundational nutrition to power beets that can improve performance and blood flow. Not to mention Power Meal, which delivers plant-based calories from Whole Foods to help keep you both energized and feeling satisfied throughout the day. This Earth Month, you can enjoy 25% off your first order with code NSP. Just go to naturesunshine.com. That's naturesunshine.com and use code NSP for 25% off your first order.